Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Art of Craftsmanship podcast. My name is Dustin O'Hara, and I am here with my brother, Devin. Hello. And we're joined by our wonderful guest and bladesmith, John Nagel. Howdy. All right, Devin, what do you got for us? Every time you get dressed, remember, if you die today, that's going to be your ghost outfit forever. Is that true, though? Do we know that for sure? That's 100% true. Wow. Yeah. Verified. <laughs> so that, that's just like, I guess that means you should always just be the, the best dress you can always be at all times. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like uh, what I don't know if our mom ever said this, but I, you know, the old wives tell the old mom saying is like, make sure you're wearing clean underwear because if you get an accident, the, the nurses and doctors are going to see your dirty underwear. <laughs> I have never heard that saying before. Really? <laughs> That's funny. Make sure you're wearing clean underwear. <laughs> I'll tell you, I uh, I stopped. I guess in in early 20s i stopped sleeping naked because i was afraid if something did happen i'd have to hop up naked and and you know running out of a fire or who knows what defend my home naked I, so i stopped well, stopped that a long time ago nothing more terrifying than somebody's like blasting out of their bedroom naked like a shotgun or a knife or something i mean nothing to lose <laughs> screaming bloody murder you know <laughs> coming at you yeah, yeah. balls to the walls literally that's was yeah that literally was like, that's uh, right jeff jeff fader on knife talk he talks about that running out being naked <laughs> yeah there you go um yeah, so i i i just thought that was a silly quote i was looking for gettysburg quotes but as you can imagine they're all quite serious as they should be um, yeah. so yeah. i was like i was like i don't know how intense i want to go with this um but I was thinking of uh, John because he recently took a trip uh, to Gettysburg and uh, did some stuff. I don't know exactly what, but I was I was thinking about that, John, because we're close here in Maryland, obviously. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, we got Antietam and Gettysburg right nearby, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, we used to, we used to actually ski at Ski Liberty, and from there, from that hill or a mountain, whatever you want to call it, you can see. Uh, uh, little round top, so oh, that was wow. always that was always interesting and a weird uh, 
I don't yeah, know. I mean, to be that close to, to something that happened, I mean, something so uh, impactful in our, yeah. uh, in our history, that's, that's incredible. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I don't We could talk about that. Dust, you want to do an intro for people who yeah. don't know John? Absolutely. So uh, John is, uh, so I um, kind of became familiar with John with your work, your knife making, just through Instagram. You found, you know, I found mm-hmm. it through the same way I find almost all the other knife makers I follow is because I see someone who posts something and says something about someone and then I look it up and I really like the work. So I started uh, following your work and saw you on Instagram and then one day, you know, saw that you were doing a live stream. So I popped on and then, you know, that was maybe a couple months ago. So kind of kept in touch yeah. with you off and on a little bit since then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you are a uh, two-time con- contestant and uh, uh, one of those times you were a winner of Forged on Forged in Fire. Yep, that's correct. Uh, contestant on Knife or Death. Yep. Army vet, bourbon aficionado, blacksmith, bladesmith, knife maker extraordinaire, John Nagel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but you know, I, I make some pointy objects that occasionally cut well. So <laughs> yeah, right. that's a that's a damn good bio. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and then also, I just found out that you're a teacher too. You teach ROTC. Yeah, so I'm an army instructor. Is what uh, army what instructor got gotcha. you. Um, so, uh, yes, I currently my assignment is to uh, teach at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as a uh, assistant professor of military science. Oh, wow. Right on. Is that That's what, a long title. Is that what, what brings you to Gettysburg through that role? Yes, absolutely. So in the, uh, in the Army, uh, we conduct what are called staff rides every so often. And for mm-hmm. ROTC, it's part of the uh, commissioning um, requirements. So in order to become a lieutenant through the ROTC program, uh, you have to conduct a staff ride. And our staff ride this year was Gettysburg. Nice. That's um, been a so- staff ride basically entails, um, go into it here real quick, but uh, it entails uh, everybody gets an assignment. So for this staff ride, I was General Lee. Um, my counterpart, <laughs> counterpart, another uh, member of the staff, he was General Meade. And then mm-hmm. we two cadets kind of assigned to our sides, and they were, you know, all the subordinates, Longstreet, Ewell, um, AP Hill, and, and the Union side and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And you spend however many days, and you walk the battlefield, and you go over these uh, critical areas of the battle. <clears throat> and um, the instructor, the, the main instructor, and, and we had a historian with us as well, uh, he, they basically say, okay, generally, where were you at at this point in the battle? What were you thinking? What were your orders? Um, what did you do right? What did you do wrong? And you have to act as General Lee or General Meade or whoever and explain yourself. And you had to be very well read because this historian has written books on mm. the battle that you're at. And uh, and he'd call you out if you didn't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> so I'd, I'd started studying for this back in uh, October and um you know just reading a bunch of different material throughout the, the last months and it's really eye-opening it's a, it's a really eye-opening experience um to really dig in and, and not just read you know what all the history books say or what you know google tells you after a five search, but to dig in and, and read the first-hand accounts of the people that were actually there to see what was this person thinking you know what was longstreet thinking when lee told him to take the hill and, and this and that so yeah, what a, what a great experience. I feel like 
Well, I guess if you weren't a Civil War buff before, you probably probably are now. <laughs> yeah, at least for the Battle of Gettysburg and <laughs> you know, very limited role of, of being General Lee. Yeah, I know a lot about that aspect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um. I, no, I love that. We since we're so close, uh, we had a bunch of uh, field trips up there. I feel like when I was a kid, living up um, only forty-five minutes in uh, Carroll County. Um, so we would do. I remember middle school. We we all learned how to line up in march. Oh, really? In, in, form, <laughs> in formation, and a lot of people poo-pooed it, but it was too cool in my mind. I was like, "This is great!" So we did it. The whole middle school marched around. You know, on the on the certain certain parts of the field, and uh, mm-hmm. learned just just basic stuff. But that yeah. was so much fun, and what a great thing to be able to study for something for like two months, and then go to the actual ground where everything is still relatively looks like what it yeah, did um, right, right. back then. Especially Little Round Top, all those rocks and boulders and stuff. You you can really uh, put yourself in the situation and picture where people had hunkered down and probably were uh, hiding. It, what a, it's, a, it's a great place. Yeah, it's, uh, you, know, you can read all the books you want. You can watch movies and this and that. But until you are actually there standing on that, that ground and you see you know, what, what these, you know, the Confederates say at Little Round Top, what they had to walk up right. um, you know, just to get to the battle or you know, for the, the grand assault from Pickett's Charge, you know, mm. we walked that. I mean, we walked from where they started all the way to where the Union line was. And you never lose sight of Little Round Top. So the batteries that the Union had up there were just raining hell on these guys as oh. across the field the entire time. Yes. Um, and, and again, the, the Union position is elevated. They're entrenched. They've got, you know, over 125 guns up there, you know, cannons up there just blowing the snot out of these guys and the fact that some of them even made it to the to the wall and, and all that is just incredible so it was, it was a great experience when you um so going into a little bit more so you were there for two days right so you're there three, day, like three days three, three days three days okay. so we, we were there basically the same length that the battle actually took place and so when when you were guys when you when the historian was talking to you and you were going over the stuff was it like you were going over the uh, parts of the battle when they would have happened over those three days? Yes. Yep. So we, uh, oh, cool. we walked the battle as it happened. So uh, the morning on the first day, we were where um, the Confederates were approaching the town, uh, where the Union cavalry spotted them and all that stuff. And we were right there where uh, the, the Union line established their uh, first defensive position. Then we switched over and, and basically just walked or drove the battlefield in sequences. It was really cool. Oh, man, that's so cool. I was just, I was like, just talking to my wife about it briefly before we started recording, um, and I was telling Devin to like when you when when I was watching your live stream last week or the you know maybe the week before the weekend before, um, and you were saying you're going. I was like all of a sudden got super fascinated. I was like telling Devin about it, and I was telling my wife about it. It's so <laughs> cool, you know, being there over those days and thinking about like there's in it three days, there's got to be like significant yeah. downtime and you got to think about it. And there was the strategy and when do you, you know, there's like, when does one start one, one side charge or shoot? It's just crazy. And I can't, yeah, it was, and especially going there with, uh, with this historian who knew this battle in and out. Um, he lent a whole lot of perspective that, that you don't really find even when you do the deep dive in your research. Yeah. Um, he he's done so much more and he's been to like archives and, and seen actual historical documents and this and that. And, um, 
you know, I was trying to stay in character, right? Because I was, I was trying to I was being General Lee, so I was trying to speak with like a <laughs> accent, and, and, and I'd watched the movie Gettysburg a few times, and and was trying to mimic, you know, the the character there, and um, and he would just ask these pointed questions that just totally take me out of character because I was like, ah, don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> you know? It's like, and he's like, well, was for instance, was General Lee's headquarters? Where was? So I was like, well, you know, it was here. I, I was sure it was in this one location on this, this um, uh, right off of Seminary Ridge, off of the Emmitsburg Pike at, a, at a, a widow's house. And he was like, was it really? I said, yes. And, you know, yes, so, yes, so. That, that's where I put my head going. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, well, but it wasn't. It was by General Longstreet's, and he was over on this other hill, Hare Hill. And I was like, what? And then he hands me this, you know, this reference sheet, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I meant. It was over there. I was, I was on that hill <laughs> instead, you know. It was just, it was funny. I was like, God, where the hell do you even find this information? You know? Right. Are you telling me where I stay? Yeah, right. And, but, but to his point, though, that was part of the, uh, that was part of the confusion of the battle is uh, the Confederacy had, had really poor maps of this area and they continually made mistakes about where things were and where they were in relation to those specific points. Um, key yeah. point is they reported that there were no Union troops on Little Round Top or Big Round Top when, in fact, there were, and their staff never even made it to those two hills. Right. You know, it's just it's crazy. Yeah, that whole battle seemed to be a um, everything was just timing. I, I would say that's that would seem to be with most battles, but everything was just a few minutes off, a small little thing here and there that caused it. I mean, the South got close yeah, to winning, yeah. but at all there was just a bunch of things that didn't fall their way. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, good way of putting it. Um, it was that first day is really the, the Confederacy's main chance to, to take the battle, right? When they, they drive the Union back to the town, the Union's confused. I think there's only two core of the mm-hmm. Union. And they're, they're disorganized up on Cemetery Ridge. And General Ewell and A.P. Hill don't take that hill. They don't charge through the town. They don't chase them off. That was it. Because once the Union got entrenched and they got, you know, the Union outnumbered the Confederacy in that battle, 91,000 to 71,000. Mm. Once you got the high ground, once you got entrenched, once you got your cannon in place, nah, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and and uh, you, I think you hit another point, too. The all the most of the battles or not most, but you know, for the first was it two years before Gettysburg? I don't know the dates, but it was a lot in the South. So they had oh, such yeah. a I feel like it, it was a crutch, it was an advantage, obviously, but they always knew the land. They always right. had spies. Yeah. And then yeah. they come cruising up north, and uh that's one thing that really hurt them, obviously, like anyone I would think in any battle, but once they didn't know the land it, it really them the yeah, a little bit. Yep. Absolutely. That and you know the uh, the cavalry led by Jed Stewart decided to go off and ride around the eastern flank of the Union, leaving the, the infantry completely exposed. Um, and General Lee didn't manage that aspect very well, and uh, that really kind of bit him in the butt as well because they were taken by surprise that they even ran into the Union Army. Hmm. Um, they had no idea they were in Gettysburg. They just thought it was some militiamen and, and stuff like that. But then all of a sudden, boom! You know, you get two two Union Corps there, which is about, you know, 15, 20,000 men coming up against two or three brigades of the Confederates' lead guard. Well, now you got a problem. Now you got a fight on your hands, and that's not where they wanted to fight. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, man. What a, what a 
Yeah, was that your first time going to Gettysburg? It was, it was. You know, at my last duty station, we lived in Pittsburgh, so only a few hours away. Mm-hmm. We actually planned to hit up Gettysburg this you know, before we moved here, but then COVID happened, and that kind of put the kibosh on that. So I'm, I was actually really happy that this is where we were going. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, like Devin, you were mentioning earlier, just being so close to it and the the history. I think that's that's one of the things that we almost take for granted. Just being on the East Coast, there's so much history on the East Coast. I mean, and you know, compare comparatively to the rest of the world, right? It's still just a minuscule amount of time, a couple hundred years. But even that is just for us. It's there's some big, big events that happened close by to us. And being in Maryland, you know, we're on the Mason-Dixon line, so. So it's like, is it the north? Is it the south? So yeah, it's just kind of, yeah. kind of fascinating. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy time, and it's a, it's a, um, you know, something that I think definitely deserves the, uh, the esteem that it gets, and that's really cool that that's part of the, um, the education part of the curriculum for the cadets. It's, that's really yeah, cool. yeah. There's normally the uh, normally University of Michigan goes over to uh, Normandy, France. Uh, but obviously, with the travel restrictions and stuff, they had to they had to kill that. So Gettysburg, it was, and I was, I was actually pretty happy that that's where we went. So, did you actually know? You mentioned you're from you guys are in Maryland. There was actually a Maryland unit at Gettysburg that fought for the South. Oh, was, yeah. I mean, I know yeah. there's definitely uh, that history of of you know families fighting against families and stuff. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah there's actually like a whole unit, a whole I don't know if it's a company or battalion, but they actually fought for the South and fought at Gettysburg. Mm, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, John, can you tell us a little bit about your like your background in knife making? How'd you get into it? I know that you're um, an army vet, and um, uh, Devin, I actually didn't get a chance to watch your episode of Forge and Fire, but Devin didn't said that it was it was like the an um, a military kind of yeah based um, you know yeah. starting ones. How'd you get into it? How'd you get into knife making? How'd you get into Forge and Fire? Like, what's your little bit of your story in uh, as a knife maker? Sure. So um, this was probably, I guess, five and a half, six years ago now. Um, I was working in a, I wasn't active duty with the Army at this point. I was just in the reserves. And uh, I, I kind of wanted a hobby. I was working in a desk job and I was bored. I'm the kind of guy that needs to have something to do with my hands or else I get in trouble, you know. And uh, I was like, you know what? I need a hobby. So I started looking up and I've always been interested in blacksmithing. Not necessarily knife making, but just blacksmithing in general. Um, you know, growing up in the Midwest, we always had, you know, Renaissance fairs, uh, 4-H fairs, all these other little things. Yeah. There's always a blacksmith there. And I always found myself drawn to the blacksmith's tent. Just there's something about being able to take a bar of steel or iron that, you know, when it's cold, is, is totally immovable, you know. And you heat it up, you hit it with a hammer, do some other stuff, and you can turn it into this beautiful piece of art or this tool or something cool, right? I agree 100%. That is so so fascinating. You just can't help it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and knowing nothing about it, knowing nothing about the metallurgy or the science behind it, uh, I just thought it was cool, right, growing up. So, again, I wanted a hobby, so I looked up on YouTube, of course, uh, which is where I discovered your page because I was looking up different topics and and things like that. So I found your site, and I think, actually, just a little sidebar, I was looking up how to do a stack leather handle on a knife and your video popped up that you were when you were refurbishing a, a knife with a stack leather handle and i think that's what drew me to your page nice. so <laughs> that's the uh the when we put the american flag in the background we draw on all the vets yeah <laughs> there you go yeah, exactly. um so yeah so i just looked up on youtube how do i start blacksmith how do i make a i start out with a cold forge so i, I just did the very 
uh, redneck version of a, of a coal forge with a brake rotor set into the top of a 55 gallon drum for a lid or for a shelf and an old bathroom fan for my blower. Um, got a, a broken anvil off of uh, off a of Craigslist from a guy for like a hundred bucks. He was a knife maker and where I was living at the time in Indianapolis. And I just started, right? I, I, I totally tore out my shed, revamped it, you know, all this stuff. And uh, the minute I heated up that piece of steel and hit it with a hammer, I was hooked. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Never even wanted to make knives, to be honest with you. I just wanted to make tools and, and things that were useful, maybe some hatchets or some tomahawks or something, you know. And uh, just wanted to do it just for fun. And that was about the same time that Forge and Fire started. My buddies from the army that I deployed with, he was like, hey, Johnny, can you make me a knife for my hunting kit? So I was like, well, you know, I've never made a knife before, but I'll, I'll check it out. So again, went to YouTube. How do I make a knife? Um, <laughs> watching Forge and Fire to see what these guys are doing, because obviously these guys knew what they were doing. Um, and I just, you know, it was it was ugliest, and I made it out of an old farrier's rasp. And, nice. but you know what? It worked, right? It was, it was sharp. It, it was comfortable in the hand, but, um, you know, handed it to him. Here you go, Joe. And posted some pictures on my Facebook. Hey, I want a knife. Can you make me a knife? Hey, can you make, you know, so you make one, people like it. They want you to make another and so on. And that basically set me on the path to now 99% of my business. And what I do in the shop is making knives or swords or axes or something. And, um, you know, it, it was about a couple years later, I was, I'd made, you know, a couple dozen, maybe 50, 60 knives or something. And uh, Forge and Fire put out a casting call on Facebook. And I was like, you know, I'm going to give that a shot. Why not? Right? I mean, I'll, I'll go yeah. make an ass on myself on national television. Sure. <laughs> Filled out the application, emailed it in. Like two minutes later, they emailed me back. Hey, yes, we're interested. Fill this out. And they sent me this big, long questionnaire. Filled that out. They send you back and set up a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of Skype calls and interviews. I think there's four or five of them that you got to do. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then you got to fill out a background check and this and that. And uh, they're like, yep, hey, we want you. We got the perfect episode for you. They didn't tell you, they don't tell you what it is. Ah. And then a couple months after that, they called me to set up the travel arrangements. Um, yeah. That, and then going from there after the success on that show, which I still can't believe I won. Uh, three other guys were incredibly talented and I just I just kind of bumbled my way through it you know and uh, after that it just kind of accelerated even more right so you get the variety you, you get the experience which is kind of the big thing um, and it's just it's just kind of like an exponential growth in terms of what I'm making how am I making it the, the tools I've got and all this stuff so that's awesome <clears throat> yeah I, I, I feel that kind of that exponential growth. Once you start, once you kind of get over this, you know, a hurdle, whatever that may be, it's, yeah. you know, for you, it's like getting into the show, making, getting into that community, right. Making those connections yes, with absolutely. other guys and, you know, people start knowing your name and then they start like, mm -hmm. you know, telling other people about you. And like you said, it's that kind of word of mouth and that exponential growth. That's yeah. That's yeah, good. It's super sure. cool. I like, um, uh, you know, I, I'm sure now when people tell you, they're like, oh, you know, somebody meets you for the first time. Oh, you make knives. That's cool. You ever think about being on force and fire? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Every no, day. Never, never thought every about time. it at all. Yeah. Every time. And it's like, especially like, you know, moving around with the army. Um, yeah. when I reported my last unit in Pennsylvania, 
hey, you know, I'm John, you know, I'm Captain Nagel at the time I was a captain. I said, you know, Captain Nagel, I'm like, oh, how you doing? So good. So what do you like to do? So what? You know, I make knives and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I like that. I'm on that show, Forge and Fire. I was like, <laughs> imagine it. I'm getting ready to travel to do the finale of my episode. <laughs> actually, that's actually how I got in my last house is that the guy was a, a fan of Forge and Fire. And I told him, I said, hey, well, I can't tell you anything but because we're getting ready to go film. Um, but keep an eye on that show around Veterans Day or Memorial Day is when it was. Memorial Day because you might see someone you know. Because he was hesitant, I asked him about setting up a, a forge and stuff in the garage. He was like, well, I don't know. So well, I'm going to be making knives and I'm on the show. Yeah, oh man, me and my son love that show. Yeah, come on in here. No down payment. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, right on. He's like, yeah. oh, if you're going to be on that show, then you understand. You know what you're doing. So Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm like, hey, I've got renter's insurance. I've got, you know. You know <laughs> right. I haven't, I haven't, only unintentional fire I ever had in the forge was when I was first starting out, first trying to learn how to forge weld. Again, I was using coal. Um, yeah. Coal is very hard to, to, to monitor and to, to control the heat. Once you get that air going and everything, it's almost like it's either full blast or nothing at all. Right, and, yeah. And, and I was forge welding. I think I was doing a, a, a tomahawk or something, a wrapped eye tomahawk. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's Sunday morning. It's kind of early and stuff. And I'm hammering on it, trying to get set the weld. And next thing you know, I notice it's really smoky in my shed. And I look up at the forge, and there's these flames leaching out from behind a concrete backer board that I had lining the wall behind my forge. <laughs> behind that concrete backer board was fiberglass insulation, which, if you don't know, combusts at about 3,700 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, jeez. Yeah, it had combusted. <laughs> so, so I get, you know, I, I, I cut the air, I, I douse my flames, you know, douse the fire, grab my fire extinguisher, go run around to the outside of the shed, spray it all down and everything. And there's smoke billowing all over the place, you know. But right behind my house at the time was a fire department. <laughs> smoke clears, I peek behind the fence, and there's like five of them standing out there, arms crossed, looking at me. I'm like, hey guys, how's it going? And they're like, uh, Mr. Nagel, do we need to get the hose? Let's go. Good, I'm good. And they're just laughing, you know. It's, it's funny. So, yeah. You're, you're like, how I, appreciate how'd it. I do? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, how's my response time? <laughs> that was pretty That was funny. But after that, I got the fire started back up and kept on going. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, I want to go back to, was there anything weird? Um, I've done some... Uh, production in in uh, tv and stuff but it's mostly sports was there anything really how do i put this I, I don't know something really strange that you didn't expect or or how slow things are in in tv like what was strange to you um that's actually a very good question and first of all i just want to say all the people that we had to deal with were great I mean, uh, the people in the industry, the, the, the hands and, and the, the people running the cameras, those guys are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. The process itself is just so tedious. Um, right. What they don't show you is when you're at home doing your home forge time, for example, you start off the day with about an hour and a half interview and they make you say things three different ways, <laughs> present, past and future tense. Yeah. So then they let you then they let you forge for 10 hours straight they record everything you do you know you, you other than going to the bathroom which they still have you mic'd up and they're, mm -hmm. it's still technically <laughs> recording and after you're done so you just busted your ass for 10 hours trying to make this you know whatever you're making 
Then they sit you down for another hour and a half, two hour interview where they ask you all this other crap and make you say it three different ways. And it's the same thing while you're on set too. they, They do an interview to start off, then they do an interview right after the action. Then they do an interview right after they, you find out your results and all this other stuff. And it's just like, I've never talked so much in my damn life. I don't like talking. I'm a very antisocial fellow most times. You know, I just, you know, let me go do my work and go home and drink a bourbon and go to sleep, you know. But after you're done with those, you know, four or five days or whatever, you're, you're ready for a, for a vacation where you're not around anybody. Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel like it's so intense. And that's one thing. Anytime I'm watching or with my wife and we're watching some type of reality show, like we've been watching that mm-hmm. show alone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, where those guys go out. And it just – actually, that's how I watched your episode of Forged and Fire because uh, Discovery Plus just came out with their streaming service, yep. which has all yep. their TV channels, right? So right. I pulled up Forged and Fire, but I also pulled up Alone and watched that. And they can make people – to be pretty much any way they want because they can edit edit together and and especially in that show alone because you know those guys are talking to themselves and cameras for hours so they can stitch together any sentence they want to make that person look any any way they want so i'm always telling her like just yeah they seem a bit like an asshole but right put it as a grain of salt because that he could have been positive all day long and they pick that yeah. one 20 second clip where he's bitching no that's that's a great point too because they they film you i mean literally they've got so much film on you and and the stuff they picked to show you're like why did you pick that quote of all the things i said right you know you decided to play that quote at that time and say oh whatever but yeah you're absolutely right they can make somebody a hero or a heel very yeah. You know, and there, yeah. been t- there were times on that when, you know, on the first or second episode that I got snippy with the camera people or with the guy, you know, the producer that was there because mm-hmm. you know, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm trying to win 10 grand, you know, and, yeah. and there with the camera in my face in my very small workshop. And it's like, you know, get the F out of my way, man, you know, like, <laughs> work here, leave, you know, but you know, they, they do a good job. They try to make everybody look the best they can. They're not trying to make anybody look like a fool guys do just because maybe they're just they shouldn't be on the show or they you know they they're you know got too big for the britches or something but right uh, you know they they i think overall at least in forge and fire they do a good job of portraying everybody in a positive light yeah yeah that is something that i that <clears throat> that's been nice about that show is just just the light that it's brought on to the the knife making community in general Absolutely. Just, you know it's it's super positive you know even and i they do pick that you know the every person that I've heard talk about their experience with Forge and Fire has been like you know yeah it's been it was cool you know it was a fun experience we did the thing but I also got to meet these people you know and yeah, those, that yeah. those were the connections that you know that people always come come out of you know I know that um, you have like a pretty good relationship with uh, Jay Nielsen right and so I know yeah, you guys are doing yeah. you're doing like some commissions for him and stuff and that's awesome because he's he's a legend in the knife making world you know it's- oh yeah and all those guys are great um, you know I've been fortunate I've, I've met all four judges now um, and they're all very genuine you know who you see on camera is who they are um, that's good. Jay Nielsen and me have really hit it off he's kind of like my big brother uh, yeah. Our personalities, very similar styles in terms of what we like in knives and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, he, he had me, uh, or he's having me make a, a kitchen set for his wife, um, who actually joined the live stream as well. I did not know it was her. It's a very weird uh, Instagram handle that she's got. 
Uh, <laughs> she's a very particular woman in terms of what she wants, which makes my job easy because, hey, you tell right, me. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have to, you know, keep guessing whether or not I'm going to like it. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's, you know, it's an honor. Yeah. Like you said, he's, he's, a, he's a legend in, in the knife making community. Um, yeah. I certainly look up to. And he's asked me to do this extremely um, particular project for, for his wife, of all people. Um, and then he's also, you know, his books are closed right now because he's booked three years out, you know, for life orders. So he's actually giving some of his customers my information to nice. ask for them and, you know, vouching for me. So I'm like, oh, geez, now, now I really can't mess up. <laughs> this guy's vouching for me here. Yeah, you know, but it's, it's so cool because, you know, in other industries, people may be like, well, I'm not going to give you, you know, I'm not going to give you my business because that's my money, right? But in this, it just seems for the most part in the knife making industry, there's plenty of people out there that want a custom knife and there's yeah. plenty of different customer styles, whether it's, you know, you want rugged or rustic looking, whether you want high polish, super finish, whether you're looking to spend a hundred bucks or $2,000 and everywhere in between, there's plenty of business out there, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and why not help the, the guys and girls that are just now starting out? Because they're not taken away from your business, you know. I other than the people geniuses have sent me, I'm not taking his business, you know. I'm right. Not, I'm not eating into his 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 clientele, um, and yeah. So it's it's a great it's a very unique uh, industry, I think, in that regards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we've talked about that before, Dust. Where it's um, maybe it's just people working with their hands, craftspeople are usually good folks. I. I you would think I don't know. Maybe it's just because they appreciate hard work. So it's not it's not totally all business. It's not one of those things where it's like, oh, well, it's just business, and I have to undercut this price by this, and right. I, I do what I want. And if I'm a jerk, hey, it's just business. It's kind of uh, people working with their hands who appreciate hard work, and it's usually those kind of people are somewhat alike when they get together, and they're not so petty. You would you would think. Yeah, I think too. It's part of your reputation. If you're known for being a dickhead, you know people are less apt to to buy from you. Maybe, uh, maybe true. if you're like one of the best makers in the, on the planet, okay, you can be as big a dickhead as you want. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, it's you know salt of the earth kind of people. Hey, I'm I'm going to treat you like family because you're either a customer and you're helping me provide for my family, or you're a fellow maker and we're in this community together. This renaissance of of makers in this country, at least. Um, yeah. Where you know, made in the USA means something again. You know, it, it, it's I don't know. I, I take great pride in you know everything I do is handmade. I, I make from the sheaths up to the you know to, to the blades and, and every, all the accoutrements and everything like that. I, I buy as little as possible in the way of of uh, you know fabricated parts for for what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. and you know and there's a big pride in that. And it's I think it's a it's a small knit community that's trying to grow and trying to reestablish itself. And, um, you know, the more the merrier right now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I feel you about just like that. And like you were saying, Deb, a little bit about like the people working with their hands. I think when you, when you do something, you've gone through this process and you've, you've run into the problems and you, you know, you, you have a misstrike with the hammer or something and yeah. then, and then you meet somebody else who does that. All of a sudden you have this connection, right? You're like, Oh, you're a knife maker or, or even just an appreciator you know, or someone who likes making things or, or appreciates other people who make things. You understand that they, 
almost have like you can relate because you know they've made the mistakes and they've been in those in your same shoes as you and yeah. have put that time and effort into trying to get better and show their you know just just to kind of build up that that uh, that community of people who have who've worked hard to get to a point and have made mistakes along the way you know we all feel that same way so yeah it's just like being in the military it. too you know I mean, yeah. you've come across a, a fellow service member whether it's army navy air force marines coast guard you all, you know that they've gone through a certain amount of suck in their life yeah. and you can all <laughs> relate to that you know and that's why you get a group of military guys and girls in the same room together they're going to have their own conversation that most people cannot even understand because we have our own language. We have our own sense of humor. Yeah. Um, we, we just, you know, we'll, we'll tell these stories and it doesn't matter. I, I love talking to some of the older vets, you know, the world war two, Korea, Vietnam guys, when I can find them all and because it's, yeah, they had a different experience, but there's just certain things that still exist in the military today that, that existed back then. Yeah. And it's just, it's great talking to these guys because you can just see it. They light up when you talk. Oh, you're in the army. Or you're in the army. Oh my god! And then bam, they light up. They'll tell you everything. They'll tell you their whole life story. You know, and it's <laughs> it's it's another small knit community. So it's I, I kind of like you know it's, it's akin to that for me, anyways. Yeah, like you said. I mean, obviously, it's a the, the it's a minuscule comparison, but like you said, they've they've had their own different levels of suck, right? So you yep. can relate. You're like, yeah. okay, yeah, I know you went through boot camp at one point, and you did this, and you probably slept on the ground more times than you'd like, and blah blah blah. Yep. You know, so like compared to that, right? We all have these struggles, and when you, re- yeah, you know, meet somebody else who's had that same struggle, you're like, okay, I can relate to you. You know, you've struggled where I've struggled, so mm-hmm. we can both uh, we had we had that in common, and we can move past that. And it's then you don't it's almost like uh, you get past that uh, initial awkward meeting somebody it's like oh, okay yeah <laughs> exactly. we don't have to worry about that because we've already done all that awkward shit like to the same awkward shit you know in the past <laughs> so yeah, yeah just, I mean, it's, like, yeah. it's like yeah if you, you get pissed off trying to drill a pinhole through a hardened tank yeah me too. <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> how many blades have you thrown across your shop because something went wrong with it you know? right exactly <laughs> Um, I wanted to, uh, ask you, you just recently posted, um, about, uh, I know you got the, uh, the forge series from Jason Knight Yeah, and he sent you, he sent along the, uh, challenge coin. I don't, I've seen him talk about it and I've seen other people post it, but I don't know what the challenge coin means, what it does. Can you tell us about it? Okay. So <clears throat> challenge coins is, um, a tradition that actually has its roots in the military where when you do something, uh, uh you achieve an accomplishment or you do something of note instead of a formal award, you will be given a coin, a challenge coin from, usually it's from a commander or somebody in a, an authoritative position. And it's basically just saying, hey, great job, appreciate your effort, you know, you have something you can carry around with you. Um, there, another tradition to that is uh, you're supposed to, as, as at least in the military we do, carry around your highest ranking coin that you've got. So say I get a, a challenge coin from a four-star general, Usually, it'll have his rank, his position, and stuff like that. I mean, they're very personalized. Mm. So you get it around with you. When you're out drinking with your buddies, somebody takes out their challenge coin and slaps it on the table. Uh, if everybody has their coins, the person with the highest rank wins, and everybody else has to buy his drinks. Nice. <laughs> Another way of playing it is if the person slaps out down a coin and everybody else has theirs, he has to buy the drinks. <laughs> um, so it's, it, there's just a couple games you can play with them that way. So um, I didn't realize I was going to get a challenge coin for buying his his last two um, series that, that he's done, yeah. two and three. 
And next thing you know, I get this package in the mail from him, and it's this really nice, really well-made uh, challenge coin um, and uh, a couple stickers and stuff like that. So it, it was really cool, especially you know being in the military and having that um, tradition of challenge coins. Uh, yeah. Something I'm definitely gonna pop in my uh, display rack. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I, <clears throat> that's that's way well much better story than I was hoping it would be. <laughs> much better background to it. Like I didn't know anything about that about the military. That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a big long tradition of it, and it's carried over into the civilian sector now. With obviously the prevalence of, of veterans, um, yep. you know, now being in the, in the civilian sector, you know, I mean, how we've been at war for the last you know fifteen almost twenty years now. So right. Um, uh, yeah, so like police departments, fire departments are now doing a lot of it. Um, heck, even like private security industries getting into it. Gotcha. Challenge coin. You can get one made for anything you want. So, <laughs> so, right. so next we'll do social um, Instagram and YouTube challenge coins, but with your own face on it, obviously, because you need <laughs> you to be on it. And then you can throw, you can give that out to other people. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and then you like, yeah, whoever has like the mate, the uh, YouTube person with the highest number of subscribers yeah. or followers. <laughs> was your gold or is your silver or platinum or whatever? The, 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 uh, yeah. Was it like a crystal one or something like that? Get yeah, out of right. here with your, your shitty art of craftsmanship. I have a Duresta coin. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And also, I wasn't, I wasn't sure, like I said, that, you know, I didn't know what the story was behind it. Um, but I, I know that there's the tradition, the kind of Scandinavian tradition of when you give someone a knife, they give you a coin in return as a symbol to not, uh. that it's like a, a payment. So that way you're not, cause a gift of a knife is a symbol of could possibly cut a relationship. So if you're giving it to huh. a friend, a friend will give you a coin back. Interesting. Uh, I've never yeah. heard that one before. That's, that's a very interesting. What's and yeah. it does it, it does is that a tattoo what's the phrase like a gift begets a gift or a a gift deserves a gift i don't know I don't, it, yeah i don't know hmm. I, i've seen i think the first time i saw it was on um ray mears on his show he he uh went and visited like a blacksmith um who made a puko style knife for him like a hidden tag and then he took a pack and put the handle on it but when he when the guy gave him the blade he gave the guy a coin you know whatever it was a nickel it doesn't matter it's just a coin right right um as and then he talked about it then and so when i when we did the the knife talk build along series on youtube um there's like a little what's that called a um a little hidden thing in there that if you see at the very oh, easter end, egg yeah an easter egg right at the very end i give you know I, I at the we wrap up the video and i give devin the knife right he reaches across from the camera and grabs it and kind of swings mm -hmm. around a little bit and then in the very final shot where we're doing the little beauty shot at the end of it, uh, we throw a coin up next to the knife on. Ah, so it's actually like, okay. you'll see it come up there and yeah. it'll, it'll land next to the knife. And that's what that is. So it was wow. like, I gave Devin the knife, but you know, as, he, as that, that tradition, yeah. so we don't cut the relationship, you know, he gave me back. Interesting. The coin. Yeah. I'd never heard that. That's really cool. That was really cool. Yeah. So, so John, if you want to give any of us a knife, there's a shiny nickel in it for you. <laughs> oh, a whole nickel. Thank you. Well, yeah, uh, well you know, hey, it's better I'm, than a penny. I'm booked up through about June, July right now. So <laughs> You're like, nickels flying at me from everywhere. <laughs> um, I wanted to, Dust, Dust didn't see it, but um, I, I watched the Forged and Fire episode, and you made a, um, a Navy saber, right? Cutlass. Kind of, cutlass. Oh, I'm sorry, right? Mm -hmm. Cutlass. Yeah. And we did... 
we did a pirate cutlass yes, out of yeah. uh, out of a machete. Yeah. And I actually was yeah, I was surprised our our only sword that we did or Dustin did was happened to be kind of related to yours and and they weren't they weren't that similar but um what a what a cool looking blade to make. Thank you. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun one. Uh that was a, at that point, that was the longest blade I'd ever made. Um and uh I, I had a lot of different plans for that blade that didn't make it onto the blade. Um, mm. And obviously they don't show all that because they, they condense your four days down into, you know, a three minute segment there. Then, mm, yeah. um, it was just, yeah, it was the history behind that blade and, and how it was developed um, and how it went from being, yeah, more of a saber and more of a, um, like a piratey, you know, purely naval type thing to these guys were carrying this, this type of sword around in World War II, you know, in the Pacific yeah. theater and stuff like that and they were modifying them they were taking the guards off they were shortening the blades they were doing all sorts of stuff and you know it remained in service i think i think it's still the uh, standard blade for the navy but it's something similar i think they adopted a different model now but um yeah it was, and it was you the traditional ones have you know a brass guard and they're, they're kind of kind of fancy looking and all that uh, yeah. The one I made, I was like, you know what? I want this thing because this is a this is supposed to be a Memorial Day, um, Memorial Day episode. So I was like, you know what? This thing's gonna look like it just got done storming the beaches of Normandy, and mm-hmm. someone picked it up off the sand, and they're going ready to you know raise some hell or something. And um, so I did a I did a, a mild steel guard that I blackened and I I puckle or pickled it or whatever you want puckered it or whatever you want to call yeah. it with my uh, hammer and stuff. I just made it look beat up looking. Um, I did a homemade micarta handle made out of OD green and canvas micarta or khaki canvas micarta. Um, and I, the guy said that I was the first person ever to make their own handle material for the show. So I thought that was pretty cool. Nice. Uh, so, you know, those were the two colors that were worn by the GIs in World War II. Um, I put, I put, uh, nautical star pins in the handle. So, you know, like stars of the compass and stuff like that. Yeah. And that was actually a throwback. They didn't show this on the show, but um, when I first deployed to Iraq in 2006, my brother, before I left, he was also in the military, like, you know, guy I looked up to, gave me a compass. And on the compass was a grade, so you may always find your way back home. Nice. nice. I wanted to put kind of an homage to that, so I put, you know, nautical stars in there. Um, on the blade, I, I stamped um, uh, the D-Day, D-Day's uh, <clears throat> date yeah. on one side and then USA on the other side and then I smoked the blade I, I, I took the blade up to like a uh, like a satin finish and then I blackened it and polished it so it kind of looked smoky mm-hmm. and all that cool. and kind of represent the fog of war and stuff like that so it was it really it turned out really really nice uh, I wish they would have sent it back to me but they they bought it for 10 grand so I guess they need to keep it yeah <laughs> and not bad not a bad price <laughs> no no not at all everybody asked me oh, what's the most expensive blade you ever made I was like well I guess it was that $10,000 sword I made <laughs> <laughs> do do you, what what do they do with those blades so a lot of them they display um they're uh, in, hanging up um I, last time I was on there for the champions of champion or the super champion edition um, I looked around for it. It wasn't there. So they must just have it in storage or something. Yeah. <laughs> he said, hey, assholes, where's my blade? I, I, I was talking to the, the, one of the producers, like, hey, uh, if you're not going to display my blade, can I get it back? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll keep it. I'm not going to sell it, you know. 
I'll give you a nickel for it. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have the ten grand anymore. But I was gonna say, yeah, you can have it back for ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, am, I, uh, I pulled up a picture of it while we were chatting, and yeah, it's, that's awesome. And that's that's exactly kind of that aesthetic that that uh, utility aesthetic. You know, like yeah. it was actually used. That's the same thing that I was thinking for when we did ours. Now, obviously, is just I took a machete and just it was more of like a fun process. Like let's turn a machete right, into right. a sword. Um, the same thing with the we did the. Um, phosphor bronze from an old symbol we made the the guard mm-hmm. same thing right. the hammer look yep. you know i wanted to have yeah. some like texture to it yeah, and, i remember that yeah yeah it was like i yeah. wanted it to feel you know it's a wood handle and it has a pommel that i ground down and it, it feels like something that you would actually use like you wouldn't right. really don't feel because all the ones i found online all the pictures were all like you said they were like almost dress sabers yes so it's exactly. really fancy yeah. you know or, those have their their spot but i I wanted it to feel like something you would actually find on like a pirate, maybe not the captain, but just like a normal dude, you know, right? Yeah, like, exactly. On a pirate ship, just like yeah. That. I wanted Dustin to do like the Jolly Roger one, you know, because it looks good on a thumbnail. But <laughs> well, I just did uh, recently. I just finished up another cutlass that's more akin to a pirate cutlass. Um, I call pirate slash zombie cutlass. Um, <laughs> again. Watched your video of how you did yours and your design, and I was like, okay, I like how he the swoop that he did. And and granted, you ground yours in, but um, you know, again, I look all over the place for inspiration and stuff. I don't care if people are doing stock removal, I don't care if they're forging or whatever they're they're buying blanks, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're making something and it's cool, I'm gonna like it, I'm gonna follow it, you know, and I'm gonna get inspiration from it. Um, but yeah, there's so many different cool things you can do. And, and for this one, he wanted kind of like a post-apocalyptic look to it. So it had a, uh, a, a guard on it that was like a knuckle bow that I twisted the steel with. And then it's got a real aggressive looking uh, spike butt cap on it and just a chobowood, a stabilized chola wood handle and stuff. And uh, just What is it again? Say the, say the wood. I was going to ask you that because yeah, I was following along while you were making that. And I was wondering yeah. what that handle wood was. Yep. Yeah, it's chola cactus. So my oh, gotcha. I've got an army buddy that lives out west, and he finds it all over the place in the deserts. He sends me it when he finds it, and uh, all I do is basically I encase it, and I, I, I'll color up some uh, resin, like uh, yeah. that crystal clear resin. You can get it like Lowe's or something, and uh, just submerge it. Pull a pull a quick vacuum to get all the air bubbles out of it. Let it cure for twenty four hours, and bam, it's damn near indestructible. What's uh What's your system like? Do you have you have a homemade system that you made for doing uh, stabilizing? No, I I tried. I tried doing yeah. the homemade thing and it failed miserably. <laughs> um, so I just bought a cheap vacuum pot off of Amazon. Yeah. Uh, cheap vacuum, uh, you know, vacuum hose type thing, and yeah, it's, it works. It works. I think I maybe overall spent close to a hundred bucks on it. And oh it, yeah, that's not bad at all. I've had it for a couple of years, it's going strong. So it's nice. paid for itself in terms of not having to buy certain materials and stuff. Yeah, we um, uh, another guy that I've become familiar with and friends with uh, through the community is um, Jesse Allison from uh, Mountain Prevail Knives. And, oh yeah. Um, he he recently reached out to us because he knew we were going to do the journey knife, which I want to still still plan on do the, doing the run of the journey knife, but I um, haven't gotten a a heat treating oven yet and I, I feel like if mm. I'm going to sell a bunch of knives I want them to be heat treated professionally like I can do heat treating in the forge and that's what I do right. yeah, I, I feel I like do. I can do it and I'm pretty successful with it but I still you know there's a, there's a level that I want to kind of reach there sure but yeah. um but he reached out and had uh he sent, he sent us some stabilized wood for the knife handles for that and then he also reached out he said he had a, an, an, an uh, another pump like a vacuum pump so he sent me a 
mm. sent me a pump, one that he wasn't using. So oh, I'm, nice. interested, I'm definitely interested and excited to try to do some of my own stabilizing because I just think that's that's cool. You know, you can get whatever you want, yeah. stabilize it, oh, yeah. and then you know that it's going to be solid and something. Yeah, that the cactus juice resin is pretty – it's kind of expensive. To, yeah. to, that's what I use when I just do pure stabilizing if I'm not encasing something in resin, you know. Right, yeah, um, but the cactus juice—that's kind of like the gold standard of what of what you want to use if you're, you know, doing like a wood block or, or something. Yeah. Um, but you can reuse it as long as you don't have like an oily wood, like I accidentally did. I remember a whole gallon of that stuff because I put oh. uh, what I put in it, like paduk or some some oily. Oh, yeah. wood. All the oils just seeped out of it, and <laughs> now we're in, you know impregnated in the cactus juice, so you can't really use it anymore because it'll stain everything that that color. Yeah. Um, mm. And, uh, but it lasts for forever. And, uh, uh, it's just, it's like, I think it's like a hundred bucks for a gallon of it. Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's real pricey, but again, it, it'll last, you know, it'll last you as long as you don't mess it up. Uh, but I, I just got like a cheap pot, a cheap vacuum pot that the pump attaches to and bam, you're good. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. I, um, I just recently gave, uh, my, so my, my buddy, Sean, who's also a knife maker and has gotten into YouTube in the last year. Um, and just mm -hmm. kind of hobbyist like I am, he, um, he, he wanted to try doing stabilizing. So, uh, yeah, I think the vacuum pump potentially is like the most expensive part. So yeah. I, I lent yeah. him mine. I was, he was like, well, can I, can I use it? And I was like, well, I still want to make my own, but I'll give it to you because I'm not doing it now. Like, right, <laughs> I'll do it eventually, right. but here you go. You know, so so he has it now, and he's he's been getting it set up. But he did. Yeah, he told me he's like cactus juice is so expensive. He's like, it is. You got to keep yeah. it at a certain you know temperature and stuff. Can't yeah, too high can't go too low. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 all those little nuances are just. It's when I started blacksmithing, I never thought I was going to get into all this other crap that I'm into now. You know, I mean, woodworking and stabilizing and resins and and all this other stuff. It's you know, I'm like part partly a mechanic because you know, if your grinder goes down, you want to fix it because it's an expensive piece of machinery or this or that. It's like, come on, I just you know, I just wanted to hit metal with a hammer. You know, <laughs> it's so much left to I got it. myself into. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You just have to. I guess there has to be a cheaper fad. Like everyone makes stuff with pallet wood now, so you just got to do like, oh, the the best pallet wood handle knife you've ever seen. Yeah, <laughs> right. I tell you, it's it's just it's crazy because you know typically starting out, a lot of people will, will make their own stuff, right? Like me starting yeah. out, I made my own two by seventy two grinder, and I found some simple plans. I bought a welder. I'm a horrible welder, by the way. Um, <laughs> But surprisingly, it stuck together. I never had to repair a weld on that thing. And nice. I abused it. And, you know, and other stuff, like, you know, I modified a grinder from Harbor Freight to try to fit a need and this and that. And, yep. you know, there's, there's ways to do it on the cheap. But then if you really start getting serious about it, it's like, yeah, you just got to bite the bullet. And sometimes you got to buy the nice grinder or you got to, like I said, I bought, bought a forge press with my winnings from Forge and Fire because I knew yeah. It would, it would pay for itself in, you know, months. And it, and it has. It's, it's been probably the most useful. Other than my, my belt grinders, it's probably the one piece of equipment that I, I probably wouldn't want to do without in my shop these days. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, mean, I think <clears throat> I think you hit it on the head. You know, as you – when you start out, you know, you want to spend a certain amount of money – as a certain amount of experience grows, you know, mm -hmm. so it's like you start out here, you're getting into it, you know, you might make a, a couple bucks off of it here and again. So then you might take that couple bucks and you put it into, you know, like a one by 30 or something, right. Or yeah. like yeah. you get this thing and then you make a little bit more money and then you, you feel justified. And I think that's, it's crazy how you can grow that way. Like as, as you grow, 
you know, if I'm putting more money and more time into it, I'm going to make more money and then it's going to pay itself yeah. off really quickly. So, Absolutely. but it, it is tough for the, for the beginners. And I think that's one of those things that a lot of people have commented on our channel over the years that people really appreciate that I, you know, show how to use these different tools that everyone has, you know, and that's just because Absolutely. Yeah. that's what I had. That's what I was working with at the time. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, it's right. like using the, the, the four by 36, you know, grinder, uh -huh. you know, vertical grinder. That's like what we did the first knife on and then right. moving yeah. up, you know, that's what I started on. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Started yeah. By 36 by 30. It's crazy. Yeah, right. it's yeah. A, if we had more money, we wouldn't be using these tools. But exactly. I'm glad you appreciate it. Yeah. It's yes. like what's the uh, what's the Johnny Cash quote, um, or at least in the movie, like how'd you find that steady, like steady as a train, sharp as a? He's like, if we could play any faster, we would. <laughs> <laughs> that's just how. That's all they could do, and it happened to work right. out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think that's that's again where. Um, when we were, it's funny, I, I don't remember specific, obviously I don't remember, but, um, when we first started, we decided to start the channel. We were trying to think about a name for the YouTube channel and I came up with a really awesome name. It was something similar to the art of craftsmanship, but it wasn't that, mm. but it was really good. And then I, I, Devin, like I, I thought about it. I didn't write it down. And then Devin asked me the next day we were thinking about it. And I was like, I had this really awesome name. I can't remember what it is, but it was something like the art of craftsmanship. It was kind of the combination of, of yeah. art and craft, you know, because the idea is that it's that, right? It, it, it didn't matter what we were making or the price of the tools or the, the process. It was that. I put, we put our all and like every, the highest level that I could do, you know, by the end, I wanted to look a certain way, right? I wanted to look like there was some craftsmanship that was put into it. It was made yeah, well, absolutely. it was made to yeah. the best of my ability, right? So it's like, yeah. it doesn't matter. You know, you can have someone who's just starting out. I mean, you have obviously, you know, the master smiths come from somewhere, right? They come from the dress right. yeah. and they come from the apprentices yeah. and you know, you get, you get to the end eventually, but you have to have that uh, desire. Someone, someone asked me, I think in our live stream uh, that we did over the weekend where we, un we did the unboxing of the hundred thousand subscriber plaque um, mm -hmm. about, um, it was my, my education or something, or it was, you know, a question about that. And I, and the one thing I think that definitely has helped me as a, a maker is is my education in in art my background in art has has given me a certain level of aesthetic you know like an aesthetic eye so yeah, sure when i'm looking at something right i'll look i'll look for lines i'll look for shape i'll look for clean mm. things and you know those are the type of things that i stand out and so and those are the things that I, I think that when you see someone who has a good eye it, you know, that's something that can be completely natural, but it's also something that I think can definitely be trained a hundred percent. You know, you can, you can show someone over and over again and teach, teach them to see those things in it. You know, and I think, uh, a lot of the work that I see that you do has that kind of, I, I see that eye, I see where you made a decision and I'm, I'm like, that's cool. You know, I see that decision. I see this, the, you know, the proportions of a blade compared to a handle or, you know, the pommel compared to the bolster and the shape and the way they come together. Those, those things I think are just, there's like, and like you said, there's, there's people who really like brute to forge and rustic looking. And then there's people who yeah. like really polish things and we can gain tons and tons of inspiration from all those people. Oh yeah, for Cause sure. it is, you know, and, and that's the other thing we're seeing, we're seeing the end result, right? So this is people that have already, they made the mistake somewhere. They've fixed it. They've cleaned it up and they give us, given us an end result. And it's just what we're looking at. So, 
Yeah. You want to get inspiration, you go online, you start searching things like I'm work we're working on this new we're gonna start a new video tomorrow on uh making a um making a kookery from a brush axe. So taking Ooh, you know a brush axe looks yeah. like so it's a big curved blade on the end of an axe yeah. handle. So we're yeah. gonna take that and make a kookery because it's already got that kind of shape to it. Right. Um right. Yeah. so I was I'm I'm a high school teacher, architecture teacher, and on Wednesdays we just do we have sh- we have a shortened day on Wednesdays, and so um, we do a sketchbook, so they just draw, and then I talk to them about the work that I'm doing, and you know mm-hmm. sometimes I'll show their work virtually because I'm we're doing mm-hmm. it virtually oh, in okay, Maryland, yeah. and uh, I was kind of going, I was telling them my process, I was telling them what I'm working on, and then like literally just sharing my screen, I'm just going through like. I search kookery and then I search like modern kookery and then I search like Jason Knight kookery and I'm just going through images and just like, Oh, I see this. That's kind of cool. I'll make a note on my page. You know, I'm just teaching them how to brainstorm and how to like to, to do their research and do some brainstorming so they can come up with ideas and find inspiration everywhere. You know, it's like, I didn't, I didn't start out by searching Jason Knight kookery. It was just, I just want to see a lot of different kookeries and see what they look like. So then I can pull from all these different angles and try to come up with a, a design that I think is interesting. Yeah, and I think you make a good point on, uh, to go back to how you said, you know, some people's education may help them in terms of finding lines or, or having that artistic eye is what I think you kind of phrased it as. Yeah. You know, my education is, I'm a philosophy major for my undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, for my postgrad degree, I did security and safety leadership, you know, so nothing, <laughs> no artistic uh, right. background whatsoever. Um, so for me, drawing out blades and doing the sketch has always been a struggle for me when I do the design part of the uh, mm-hmm. build. And a lot of it is how long does it need to be? How wide does it need to be? How long does the handle need to be? I'll figure it out from there. You know, yeah. <laughs> I know it's going to be a, say a kukri shape, or I know it needs to be a buoy knife shape. Um, I'm going to move the steel in that general direction. And then I'll, you know, once I get there, I kind of just let, you know, let my eyes do the, do the do the walk in and, and let me know okay this needs to be thinner this needs to be longer that or that and then of course the grinder comes into play and that's where you make your final refinements but i've tried to put a lot of work in and a lot of time in on my design side because the way i'm looking at it now is okay if some of my clients now are a little more high end or i'm getting to that point where i'm getting a little higher end clients they're going to want to see what this is going to look like before it's done before they down you know, 800 bucks or 1200 bucks, whatever it is on a, on a Damascus knife or, or something. So I'm like, yeah, for, for most of my clients right now, a chalk sketch on my, on my uh, fabrication table will work. Um, <laughs> some of these guys, they want to see, all right, what, what are you going to make me? What, what's my money buying? Yeah. Uh, so it certainly can be learned. Um, I, I find uh, using pencils instead of pens helps. So you can your stuff and uh, yep. get you some design paper with some grid lines. So you, yep. uh, you know, have some, you know, some baselines and stuff like that. But uh, other than that, yeah, it's, it, that's the part for me that I've always struggled with is, is that design portion. Yeah, I can, I can pick up a piece of steel, heat it up and, and hammer it and, and get a pretty cool uh, blade design. You know, just like the, the ball bearing knife I did, you know, I didn't do any drawing. I had no idea what I was going to make. I just want to make a, see how big of a knife I can make out of that ball bearing and uh ended up being a, a pretty cool looking you know uh camp knife you know about right. a nine inch long camp knife so yeah i think that's uh <clears throat> it's definitely um i think 
all those angles of getting to that end result are all valid. You know, some yeah. people have yeah. that talent and some, some, some people, you know, have to work for years to build up that skill and then they can oh, yeah. just pick up a thing and just forge it and be happy, you know, and forge to the end. Some people start out design like as me as an artist, you know, train, be trained that way. I always start mm-hmm. out with drawing sketches and making, you know, making notes and things and thinking about stuff because that's how I want to see like the end product kind of before I get to that point. Right. Um, right. And there are times when, if I'm not, if I'm just making, like if I'm playing around in the forge and I'm just forging out a knife from whatever steel I have, that's one yeah. thing, right? I'm just, I'm forging a blade and I kind of understand what a blade should look like. So I just play with it. But if I have like, yeah, a project right. in mind that I work design first and then project, yeah, and, absolutely. you know, I think, I think that's where it comes. It's like where, you know, like you said, there's definitely a client might want an image, right? I saw that you did a great, a great drawing of the three knives for Mrs. Nielsen. Um, yeah. You know, like yeah. the the chef, the mid size, yeah, kitchen little, set kind of thing. Yeah, like four yeah. and a half. I, I was because I was looking at that. I'm like, you know, your, your handle size. Because I always kind of look at handle sizes, what people different oh, yeah. people do, because that's I think those one you know handles are things that can really make a difference between mm-hmm. different designers and how it feels. And, you know, that's obviously you got to hold it somewhere. So it's got to feel well and has yeah, to feel course, yeah. good. And, and, uh, that Kukri is a, it's, it's a, it's a different type of handle. You know, there's, there's obviously lots of different types of handles and I want to, I want to do one that's not, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a full tang. Okay. Most yeah. likely. Yeah. Um, so, and I, that's I how I do my Kukri's. That's how I do my Kukri's. Yeah. Full tang. I don't, I'm not a big fan. If I got a big blade like that or something like that, it just, I feel more comfortable if it's got a full tang, not just a you know mm, right. tang or a you know hidden tang or anything. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of weight for, for exactly you know, not not a full tang. Yeah. yeah. So thinking about like the different shapes, looking at that, and you know, kind of this idea of doing something that I haven't seen exactly before, but it also kind of lends itself a little bit to a Jason Knight type of style, sure. and then a, oh, a yeah. little bit to like the normal bushcraft style, a little bit that way, and then a little bit back to, to the traditional style. So kind of playing with that, and looking at lengths, and looking. At widths and that's so many different that, options yeah. when it comes to kukri man it's, right, it, you yeah. can have the ones that are damn near bent at a night or a 45 degree angle or a 90 degree angle and yeah. others that are just you know slightly bent and yeah you got the sharp fin option and right. you know all that i mean there's so many it's almost like you know you say this is a bowie knife well there's right. you know that could be a thousand different styles you know yeah. there's a kukri well, okay i guess it to my mind, a kukri looks one way, but to somebody else's mind, it, it may look some something else. So, right, yeah. I, I try not to be too judgy on, on people, especially like on Facebook and the beginners' sites and stuff. And hey, you know, this is my first kukri I ever made, and it's I'm like that to me. That doesn't look like a kukri, but okay, good, <laughs> good job, man. You know, I try to be, yeah. try to be positive, but sometimes yeah. it's hard. Yeah, yeah, as long yeah. as you're not taking your time to insult them, like a lot of people seem to do. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I stay away from that for sure. If, if yeah, I mean, negative just, to say, come on, yeah, they don't need to hear that. You know? Just make fun of them to whoever's next to your phone with you and be done with it. No, exactly, yeah. It's like if you feel the need that you've got to put somebody down that's trying to make stuff and, and all that, say, come wow. on, you know, get a life, you know? Right, yeah, yeah there's, um, I, um, I feel like I've, I've done one of a lot of things and Dustin just keeps going on and does a lot more and gets a lot better. <laughs> but every time I do one of something, I feel really good about it. And I feel like, okay, I've, I've done that. Let's try something else. But my little knife that we early on, I made with Dustin or I made and Dustin was there when we lived in the same house. Um, 
uh, just a little blade out of a circular saw. I used a Dremel to cut it out, stuff uh-huh. like that. But yep. anyone I show that blade to is amazed that I made a knife. So yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect no, of course to get not. something yeah. that you love and other yep. people are impressed by. I mean, no, obviously, sure. I'm not trying yeah. to sell it, but if that's why we're always trying to get people just just make something. Exactly. Do your next, yeah. do your next first project because yep. – even if it's not the sharpest thing ever and there was no tempering, it will work. I mean, I'm not using it every day, so it will stay sharp and uh, just just make something and people will be impressed by it. Yeah, and that's what that's what I think for the longest time, I think we've lost that in, in our society here is you know, we, weren't a, we weren't a country of makers there for a while. And, and I don't know what's, what's reignited it, if it was origin fire or if maybe it's just youtube and people can see other people doing it so they get inspired but there's definitely this this growing culture of we're gonna make stuff you know and it, yeah it's not gonna be perfect nothing that comes out of my shop is perfect when i look at my knives all i see is what i could do better next time you know yep. and and it's not about being perfect it's about this is handmade this is not made you know this is not bought at walmart this is not mm-hmm. lowe's or home depot this is I took my time, I made something that is now either useful to me or pleasing to my eye or yeah, something that I can maybe sell for a couple bucks so that I can afford, you know, to get my kid a better birthday gift or something, you know, and that needs to be supported. That doesn't need to be shouted down because, you know, oh, your grind line is a little off here or this half of this hook isn't equal to the other half of the hook. Come on. <laughs> it's handmade. The, the reason it's handmade and people like handmade stuff is because it's not perfect because it's right. not made by a machine. Um, I remember I made my mom for mother's day a sign because it had a wood backing. I don't know what kind of wood it was, just some scrap I found. And it said Nana, cause that was, you know, that's what the grandkids call her. And it said Nana's like Nana's house. And it had a holder for a wine glass. I said the wine glass cause she loves wine. When I look at it now, I'm like, damn, that's ugly. But she absolutely <laughs> loves it. You know, she yeah. still has it displayed in their basement. And just every time I'm over there, she, she talks about it. Oh, my God, I still love that sign and this and that. That's what it's all about, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and people that try to shout that down, I've got little – I've got no time for them. So Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's that, you know. you. Uh, I think um, Adam Savage did a uh, kind of a – a response to one of his uh, the um, members of the tested crew or whatever you know he, somebody asked about being a maker and Devin did a quote mm-hmm. about it and was like when you make something that you love you know you, you've, you've come up with an idea you've got your own perspective on something and you make it right that makes you a maker and that's pretty awesome you, I, I yeah. made this thing look how awesome this is right? right and then when you make something that someone else loves and they really excited that's like that's when it really does open it up oh yeah then you, you know, and that's just, you know, you could give something to somebody or you can show something or they, they know it's not about, like you said, it's not, it's not about it being perfect. It's not about yeah. the, it's not about what it is at all. It's really just about the fact that you made it and now they have it, you know, exactly. so they, they know yeah. that story is there. They know where it came yeah. from. They know that someone put some time and effort into it, you know, had to cut it, had to sand it, had to forge it, whatever it is. Um, and like you said, we see the mistakes and things. We see all those but oh, that's yeah, all of part of what makes it that's what makes it good that's what makes you know and that's what makes the next one better yeah and you know it still boggles my mind you know being where i'm at in terms of you know i still call it my hobby because it's you know it's not my full-time job but right. you know, i look at i look at my orders that i've got on my phone you know i keep notes of, of my future orders 
and I'm scrolling down. I'm like, there are people out there that are willing to wait six months for a night that I'm going to make. When I remember not too long ago, you know, I was making stuff out of fairs, rasps and railroad track ties and stuff that I was just trying to give away. And it just, it still boggles my mind that, that I've just in a couple of years time have transferred over to this port, but it's, it's humbling. It's humbling that, that there's still that, or there's that, that market out there. People want handmade. They want something that's unique. That's not perfect. You know, that's not machined, you know, out of, you know, uh, some, some stainless steel in Germany or something like that. They want something that's hand forged here in the United States. And I've, I've had customers, you know, all, all over the world. I've, I've shipped blades up to, you know, to Europe, to South America. Mm. Um, haven't hit Africa yet, but I've hit Australia. Nice. <laughs> I don't, I haven't hit anywhere in Asia yet, but you know, I've, I've got blades, you know, on, on several different continents. I'm like, wow, is this, is this real? You know, is, yeah. <laughs> am I dreaming here? I, I, I never imagined it, it, it growing like this. And it's, I guess it's just a testament to the fact that people like that. They like that handmade, um, yeah. that handmade aspect. So. For sure. There, there's also, I mean, that's one of the, <laughs> in my opinion, one of the few positives of social media is yeah. this, this quick ability to be able to show what you can do and bring people into your life a little bit, just enough, and let them appreciate what you're doing. Just like you said, John, at the RenFest, a Renaissance Festival, you'd go there and normally you wouldn't. You wouldn't care about a bottle opener or like a little hook that can mm-hmm. hang on your door. But yeah. when you sit there and you watch the blacksmith make it, all of a sudden oh, yeah. you're ready to shell out 30 bucks for a, a hook or something, something simple. Yeah. yeah right. You know, yeah. it's, it's that. So you're taking that experience and, and, and uh, amplifying it and sending it out through the world. So everyone gets to watch you. Just yeah. like sitting on that log at the Renfest, <laughs> watching the blacksmith or the or the guy who um, the glass blower who oh, yeah. Yeah. who blows something simple, and normally yeah. you'd you'd buy twelve glasses at Walmart for ten bucks, but all of a sudden you're willing to uh, spend twenty bucks on whatever the guy just blew. Yep, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you're buying that relationship. You're buying that story. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, John, do you know uh, you know Axe Wax, the company? Yeah, Axe Wax? yeah absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's funny. So, uh, I I just sent um, I don't know his name, but the guy who I I sent him a DM uh, on mm-hmm. Instagram because I remember, literally, I just sent this today. Um, I was just kind of scrolling scrolling through. I think it was uh, Main Forged. I think is the is the Instagram. I saw him post something about using Axe Wax, and he's like, it's not just for axes and knives. You know, he does blacksmithing stuff, and so. Uh, and I, I sent a message to the, the guy who runs Axe Wax, um, just saying, cause I'm a part of a Facebook group called Axe Junkies. Um, okay. And a couple years ago he posted on Axe Junkies that he had like gotten to the point where he had perfected this concoction of, um, waxy material stuff that he was starting to, he was thinking about calling Axe Wax and he was looking for some people to help him out with a logo. Um, he was like, he's like, I think I'm ready. You know, I've been, I've been working on this. I've been using all my own stuff. I've given it to a few people and people think that it's a good combination. You know, like the, the recipe is good. Um, and you know, I'm thinking like, what can I do? You know, um, I want to, I want to start marketing it. So I'd like to, you know, I'm just reaching out. He was ha- reaching out for some design help for, uh, for the logo. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I sent him a message and I was just, I just said like, you know, I was, 
I said, I was thinking back to a few years ago when you posted on the Axe Junkies that you wanted to start selling the Axe Wax and needed help with the logo. And like, you know, look how far you've come. You're killing it. You know? And he is. He's like yeah, all over the place now. And he, yeah, he's brought it back. He's like, I really appreciate that. It's hard to believe that that was just two years ago. So again, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's incredible. How, yeah. yeah. How quick, you know, this, I think, I really think that that's part of this maker community. People want to help out want to you know have that whether that's like you said usa made people appreciate that in the u.s but i think you know just homemade something that someone's worked hard on put some time Mm -hmm. and effort into and then has put this effort out to like to push themselves and and tell their story and become part of the community it really is it's it's a welcoming time in this in our world that people are, are ready to support that I mean, I have people all the time who ask if they can buy knives or buy axes. And I'm like, well, I have a full-time job and I do YouTube almost full-time. And yeah, like, right. like, I wish I had more time to do it. You know, maybe eventually I was like, I always like to say, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You know, I just keep your eye out. Eventually I will, you know, and I yeah, will have time yeah. to do more. And, you know, at that time I'm going to post. So yeah, the support is overwhelming. It's really cool. Absolutely. People keep asking me, they're like, Hey, why don't you do YouTube videos? I was like, man, I don't got that time. <laughs> Full-time job. I, I did the part-time job of making blades. I've got, you know, a four-year-old kiddo running around and mm-hmm. still got to give the wife attention, you know, and she'll, she'll run off. So I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't got time to edit as a live stream as, as close as we're going to get folks, because I don't like to yeah. do any editing. I just set the phone up and, and let it go, you know? Yeah, that's great. I uh, I wanted to ask you about that. When did you like? Um, How did you? Why did you start doing live streams? Um, uh, I think it's great. I, I like how you have like a regular, you know, audience now. You're doing it often, and that's great. Yeah, so I'm just trying to like uh, grow my audience, right? And um, I like my style is I like posting progress pictures for my from all my projects because. I feel that people like to see that, okay, yeah, everybody posts pictures of their final projects, right? And these beautiful blades or, yeah. or whatever they're making, but nobody ever shows that in between step where the blade doesn't look so nice right off the forge or you know, right after you get it out of the quench or something like that. People want to see those intermediate steps. And, uh, and I know I send pictures to my clients, you know, before they hit social media, I always send them those pictures or videos. Right. And um, I was talking to one of my guys, uh, one of my clients, and um, he's kind of like a social media guru. And he said, do you ever do videos? I said, no, nah, nah, not really. It's just too, too big of a pain in the butt to you know move the camera around or this and that. He goes, look, just get a tripod, get, it, get one that's got a, a phone holder on it, set it up, let it go, and just do a live stream. He said, because the more stuff you do on Instagram, you know, the more ways you use that app, the more they promote you in their algorithms to get yeah. in front of audiences because then that grows their audience and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, all right. So I started doing it with like shop updates and that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do one where I'm making something and see how this goes. And it got a very good response, you know. Yeah. It's kind of fun because you can interact with people as you're making stuff and they can ask questions and, and, and all that. And it's, you know, it, it was a fun time. So I was like, you know what? As much as I can do this, I'm going to do it. You know, sometimes the army gets in the way and I'm out of town or something. I can't. Um, but if I can do one at least once a week, uh, that's what I'll do. So I kind of kept it up and the audience has grown. Um, I think the last video I did this last week, it said 91 people viewed it, which I think was the most that I'd had, which for me is pretty darn good. 
Um, yeah. I'm sure guys like Jason, Jason Knight, or they're probably getting the hundreds or or something, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't, can't can compare them to those guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you know, Hey, if I can get the main thing for me is a conversation, you know, if I can get some good conversation, uh, maybe, you know, answer some questions for people that are curious or getting ready to, you know, wanting to get started in it or something. Um, absolutely. You know, it, it doesn't take any time away from what I'm doing and it, it helps other people that may be trying to get into the industry or trying to, make the plunge of, well, do I really want to do this or not? Hey, yeah, look, he's, he's there. He's showing me how to do something or he's explaining his method. And I think now I'm going to go try it in my shop. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whether it's like, you know, negative five degrees or not, like it is. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Yeah. It's, uh, sometimes it's cold, but, uh, you know, and that's why sometimes (laughs) I've got five blades I've got to grind on, but it's 90 degrees out and I do not feel like sitting up by that grinder grinding these things because I, you know, end up not being able to feel your fingers after a while. So, right. <laughs> you know, I'm going to fire the forge up and we're just going to hammer something out because at least I'll stay warm. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just, uh, again, talking to my buddy, Sean, who's crafting a life I want on Instagram and YouTube. And he is saying, uh, he's same situation. He's got a garage, like a double garage where he has a shop. He's got his forge out there. And I was like, why don't you just get like one of the little propane tanks and a little propane heater, right? And you just <laughs> point it right at you. And he's like, yeah, that's such a waste of, of resource. I'm like, well, it is, but, yeah. but what's the trade off? You know, it's like, are you going to insulate the garage? No, you don't own right. the place. You're not going to insulate it. So, <laughs> so do you want to get out there and work in the cold or not? If you don't, then don't worry about it. If you do <laughs> buy a little proof. Okay. So you pay like what, two or three bucks a day to turn that thing on and point it at you and move it around the shop with you. Like, Come on, man. You got to get out there and work. You know, you got to pay pay a little bit of money for it. It's not a big deal. And then, you know, that thing costs, you know, the little thing you at, attached to the top of the propane tank costs yeah. 20 well, bucks, may, 30 bucks, maybe, afraid or something. Maybe he doesn't want the wife and kids to come out there. And then <laughs> <laughs> your obvious space. It's a sacred space. <laughs> they walk out. Oh, it's freezing out here. All right. You better go inside. <laughs> I tell you, I've got one of those propane, like the jet engine looking propane things. Yeah, it burns through a twenty-pound propane tank in like six hours. Oh, Maybe yeah. two forging sessions out of it, and bam, it's gone. It's like, well, that was a waste of thirty bucks or however much it is to fill up a tank. Now you know. You just yeah, need yeah. that old uh, that old electrical dish that used to burn you when you leave. My, my buddy had one, and we were so afraid of it. <laughs> like but in his basement we needed it, it was guy dust and we yeah, had right. that but we'd put it right up next to us and then sure enough we'd be wrestling or something and we'd burn the burn shit. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was actually talking specifically about it we were talking about how cold it was in the shop because he was talking about the uh the uh, cactus juice. And he has oh, yeah. he has a yeah. kind of a space in his basement that kind of is like a shop but not really but and he's looking at it's kind of low ceilings and stuff he's like i guess i could set it up to work down there and i could you know because they're thinking about shooting you know youtube videos Mm -hmm. well like can we light it well and it might work and then like 10 minutes later he's texting me like measurements across the shop and how high the ceiling is and like there you go man so you got it just move in the basement (laughs) a low seal a low ceiling is good because you can reach up and grab your clamps off of it yeah right there you go (laughs) yeah put some light there you're good to go (laughs) um one of the things i wanted to uh i wanted to talk to you about a little bit just real quick before we uh we start to wrap it up a little bit but um i i was searching um i i saw someone comment on one of your instagram posts like you know they were saying about they they really like the angles you show and things like that and Mm -hmm. um 
So I was like, oh, does he have a YouTube channel? So I started, I just kind of searched and I saw that you had an interview with uh, Tony Katz, which is on yeah. YouTube. Um, I, I don't know Tony Katz, but that I, I watched the first maybe like five minutes or so of that. It's not super long, but that was really cool. Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, so I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, that's where all my family is. And I still listen to local Indianapolis radio. And Tony Katz is one of the radio personalities that I listen to a lot. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I can't even remember when I first, I think it was when I first started bla uh, blacksmithing, I was just trying to get his attention on Twitter. And I was listening to him one morning and I said, Hey, Tony, I made you something in my, in my forge. I'd like to drop it off to you. Where can I drop it off? And he like, he, he actually just talked on the radio. He's like, I have a blacksmith messaging me on Twitter right now saying he made me something in his forge. Should I be scared? <laughs> and we just kind of went back and forth. And I made him a, a fireplace set for like a fireplace. You know, it had a poker, it had tongs and a shovel. Nice. Down to the studio in downtown Indianapolis, dropped it off, met him, shook hands. We took pictures and all that stuff. And we just kind of kept in contact uh, since then. I was, you know, like I said, probably five years ago. Right. And uh, so... So a while back, uh, probably over a year ago now, he uh, he was talking on the radio again, and something got brought up. Like you know, I've always wanted a battle axe, so I tweeted him. I said, "Hey, I know a guy." You know, <laughs> he goes, "Oh yeah, that's right." He goes, "Yeah, we need to get this done. Make me a battle axe." So we messaged, we came up with a price and all that stuff. And I was like, "Look, I'll give you a deal if you I get to deliver it to you, and we." you know, get to do either a video or airtime or something. He goes, all right, you got it. Nice. Well, then COVID happened. I was supposed to go into the studio and, and do a live on air. And mm. he was, uh, he couldn't do it because of all the restrictions. I think it was March, so everything was shut yeah. down. Mm. So he's like, here's, this is the best I can do. I said, oh, this is great, man. This is, this is perfect. So we met up at the, uh, a local cigar bar there in Indianapolis, and uh, he bought me a drink, uh, bought me a bourbon, bought me a cigar, and I, uh, over the, the axe and we did a little interview and uh, he then I, I told him it was my dad's birthday weekend that week and so he brought me inside the humidor and bought my dad a cigar for him so nice yeah nice. super nice guy absolutely uh, absolutely love what he does and, and uh, he does a lot for the, the local community in Indianapolis so um, I was happy to happy to make something for him and uh, you know it's got a it had an ashtray that has magnetic and could sit on top of the battle axe so you could <laughs> yeah that was awesome <laughs> yeah so it was pretty it was pretty cool yeah so great. Yeah, like, like you know uh, flick some ashes into it at one point that was awesome yeah. I was like that's that's yeah. super cool <laughs> yeah. that's the first and only ashtray I've ever made <laughs> nice. Yeah. So being from Indianapolis, you're a big uh, Baltimore Colts fan, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, not since 1983. Uh, when Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you guys still call us the uh, football team from Indianapolis or something like that at your stadium. You don't even put Colts up there on our thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, why would we? <laughs> 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 yeah, 19, I always that's uh that was my birth year, nineteen eighty three. So I was like, man, yeah, me too, you know, me too. Hey, all right, nice, right on. And there actually, you know. the the day that this is coming out, which is Friday, today is Wednesday. Today's the twentieth. Yeah. Friday is the twenty second, which is my birthday. My hey, shoot, happy birthday, man! Happy birthday, Thank you very wow. much. <laughs> I always say they were they. We wouldn't have been so pissed if. Well, right, you sneak away in the night, blah, 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 that old story. <laughs> yeah. But they never changed the design one little bit. 
<laughs> like everyone updates it or like goes right. through some changes. They have yeah. that simple horseshoe that we had in Baltimore. They didn't yeah. move it one. They're like, we like exactly what you had. We'll take it and we're never going to change it. They probably like changed one or two little things on it for, you know, whatever copyright or right. <laughs> purposes, but just yeah. enough. Instead of six holes in the horseshoe, we only have five, so we're good. <laughs> well, it's the Ursays, right? They're, they still yeah. own it. So. Yep, sure do. Do whatever sure they do. want with it, you know? Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty but, much. you know, I mean, Baltimore stole the Browns. We came up with a whole new name and a whole color scheme. Well, congratulations <laughs> on stealing the Browns. Okay. <laughs> of all the football franchises you could steal, you steal the Browns. I know, right? <laughs> well, we yeah, turned we turned them into something, and in that. that's true. No, you did. That's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe not this year. Maybe not last week. But what are you going to do? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, this this whole year has just been a crap show in terms of professional sports. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Um, all right, John. Well, we want to. Uh, one of the things we love to do when we have guests on the podcast is to ask you your disaster story. Just to like, again, like we were talking about, bring us back to yeah. all the same thing. We're all people. We all make stuff, and we all make mistakes. So, Absolutely. You, have a, you have a story for us? Yeah. So I, I got several stories for you. <laughs> How long have we got? No. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> probably the most, uh, the biggest disaster story, or the one that I guess would have the most consequences. Um, what well, comes from Forge and Fire, um, it was during the home build when I was making the cutlass. And my original plan for that sword was to have a Damascus steel guard because I knew the blade wasn't going to be fancy. I wanted the blade to just be simple, mono steel, because I was comfortable with it, a blade that long being in a mono steel, right? So I was like, okay, I can do a Damascus guard because a guard, it's a bell guard, but it's not super big or fancy. And, and that should be pretty easy to pound out. And I'd made, you know, quite a bit of Damascus uh, before that. So I was, you know, familiar with it and knew how to do it and, and all that stuff. But this would, this would arguably have been the, arguably have been the biggest piece of Damascus that I've made at that point. So I think I spent six hours on day three working. So I think I just hardened my blade, uh, was happy with it. And I was like, all right, I got to start this guard. Six hours at the, at the back half of day three. And I'm working on this Damascus. It's starting to look good. You know, I think I've got maybe 20, 30 layers or something like that, which is just where I wanted it because I was going to do raindrop pattern, real bold lines. And uh, I wanted to kind of look like camouflage or something. And all of a sudden, I see a seam uh, start opening up on the end. So I was like, okay, no, it's just on the end. It's fine. Flux it, get it hot, boom, hammer it down. Then a seam opens up on the other end. Come on, man. No. Flux it, heat it, get it down. Then a bubble forms in the exact center of the billet. Well, that means there's trapped gas inside and there's almost nothing you can do to get that out. So I start grinding on it to try to, okay, maybe it's only like a layer deep and blah, blah, blah. So at the end of the day, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm just gonna stop. I'll pick it up tomorrow morning and I'm gonna spend an hour. If after an hour, if I can't get this right, I'm gonna ditch it and go with my backup, which is a mild steel one and, and all that. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm fuming at this point. Just, like I said, I've wasted six hours. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm, I'm sore. This is when you're telling the production guys to get the fuck out of your way. Yeah, pretty much, yes. <laughs> yes. And because at that time, I did not have a forge press. I was all hand hammer. You know, this whole Ooh, man. hand hammer. And um, wait, get get going the next morning. Of course, they do the hour and a half long interview. And I'm just not, I'm just giving them like monotone one word answers. He's, he's like, okay, I get it. You're, you're, you're upset. Let's just get going. <laughs> Spend an hour trying to either grind it or hammer it and all that. And it's just, the more I work on it, the more it fails. 
you know, the failures and inclusions in this. Uh, so I basically I take it and I just throw it out. I throw it out of the forge, out of the garage, almost hit my car with this chunk of Damascus. I was like, oh, no, thank God. Thank God I'm not a baseball player because I probably would have hit that. And I just throw it out into the street and I start, I just grab a plate of mild steel that I had. It was like eighth inch thick and bam, I start, start cranking it out of that. And that could have been a disaster. You know, if I hadn't have ditched it, or if I'd have insisted, I may not have finished, or it may have, you know, fallen apart or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, that was to me that was probably the biggest snafu I've run into um, as as a knife maker. And I actually that that axe too from Tony Katz. Um, the first axe I made him failed. It uh, the forge weld failed, and the uh, started delaminating at the uh, the cutting bit, and uh, so I had to start all the way over. You know, so it happens even even now, even today, it still happens. So nice, and that's the thing, right? You got to a point where I think that's why it's it's a disaster story because yeah. you get to a point where you got to start over. But that's the point. Almost like every yeah. maker we've talked to, they've started over. Yeah, you don't it's stop. Not just like, yeah, you don't, you don't stop. End. You start yeah, over, right? Yeah. You're like, all right, this one, you know, I've gone as far as I can go. I've pushed it. I've tried. You know, yeah. this one failed. It's got it. It's got to go in the bin. Yeah. The other failed shit, and then just start over keep on going like you said if you try to keep on pushing it you know you gave it some time you tried but all right what's the next best thing right and i'm sure like if you had if you had d lambs or something in it and you, you showed that at the final uh reveal like they would have seen that you know that yeah, would have come into play right? right you know yep you know anybody that makes something or you know they've all failed we've all failed you know anybody that says they they're a, a woodworker or a blacksmith and tries to say they haven't failed at anything yeah, they're, they're full of shit yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. You're not blowing smoke up my butt, okay? You know, I was yeah. born in the morning, but I wasn't born yesterday morning. <laughs> We've all failed, but the, the, the difference is you don't quit because it's hard or you don't quit because you fail. You learn from it. That's actually how you learn the most is yep. by failing, and then you do better the next time. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. absolutely. That's great, man. That's what, a, what a good story. I love it. I love them all. I'm glad, <laughs> like so I'm glad they didn't show it. <laughs> I'm glad yeah, they didn't show it on TV. <laughs> I was going to say, oh. I feel like that's a piece of drama they would have shown. I thought they were going to. I really did, especially with how they're, the guy was asking me questions during the process. And I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> drama moment of the whole damn and, episode. And the other guy, he had finished so quick, right? He, yeah, he was like, he like hours, finished so. in a day or two, and he was like, I'm just going to play with my dogs on day three. Well, so his thing was he finished real quick because he had a, uh, a show, uh, like a renaissance show or something that he was selling at. And it was mm. the biggest, you know, biggest uh, money makers of the year. He did, he did bladesmithing full time. And uh, so he was like, I, I can't miss this show because I make you know thousands of dollars selling my stuff there. So... He knocked his out, sent it out, sent the camera crew on the way, and went to uh, went to that show to sell his stuff. Ah, see, so. right? Like like I was saying before, they in in my opinion, you don't have to say anything about it, but he looked like an asshole because he got done so quick. And personally, I didn't think his looked half as good as yours. Like with the you know the like Dremel work on the uh, the way he like yeah. put in the dates and stuff, right. it wasn't great, and and it was oversized and. So I'm thinking he's an asshole, but really he just, he has to go make money. Yeah. He's a super nice guy. Mike is a great guy. We still talk probably yeah. a couple times a week. 
Uh, I mean, he's cocky, right? But I mean, he's a good policeman, so he's got every right to be. And he's right. the kind of guy will give you the shirt off his back, but he'll give you shit about it later. Right. <laughs> Drinks at the bar. But um, he, he's a big guy. He's a real big guy. So everything for him is a little oversized. <laughs> and you see that a lot in, in the, on the show is these big guys tend to make big handles. Right, right. And when you get to the judges, they all have kind of average size hands. Um, and luckily, I guess I have average size hands. And uh, it, it just, it's like a mismatch. So it is a challenge, I suppose, for some makers um, if their body is shaped a different way or something. But at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, you know, you, you got to make it. You know, you're making a blade for the judges, basically. So you got to take into account who your customer is. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they did kind of make him the uh, the heel of that episode to a certain extent. You know, they showed him yeah. talking and all that stuff. But in reality, we were having a great time together. We actually skipped down the uh, when we were walking down to the gun range. They were like, hey, we want you guys to show some attitude. We want you to have fun and this and that. So I look at him. He looks at me. I said, I put my arm out. He linked his arm with it. We skipped <laughs> yeah, a little road there and they're like all right guys that was great but go back up and do it again this time like, right. fine you don't want me to have fun on this show i see how it is yeah right look we upset. like that but it's not really a thing we're looking for yeah right it's like okay you want me to walk down like stone cold see austin or something you know, you know what <laughs> yeah. yeah real quick before we go into recommendations i uh i did this i don't know if i told one this i i worked for a it was like a hidden camera show, and we would do it. We would set everything up, all the cameras everywhere, and then people would come in and react, and it was it was fine. Yeah. And then the producers would walk in, go, "That was great, hey!" And they would say, "You're on a show," and everyone would be excited. And they said, "You would you like to try it again?" <laughs> <laughs> and they go, "Yeah, yeah sure." And yeah. they come in and go way over the top. Totally, of course, yeah, of course, that's what they used, and it was yeah. all then. I think that's when it clicked. I was like, "Oh, right, right. None of yeah. this is." None of this is totally real, guys. Nah, yeah, right. smoking mirrors at a certain point. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I think is where, like, where YouTube seems really real, right? Because yeah. obviously, people are, you know, we're clipping together clips. You're seeing, you're seeing things as we want you to see them, but you're seeing people make real things and do real things, and you know, like the person that, like, when Devin and I hang out in the shop and we're filming, or just hanging out in the shop and filming, like, I, yeah, I'm like, all right, right. I'm, I'm going to talk fun. about yeah. this next step. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, that's this, right? And then. I'll do something and it'll like, it'll look crazy. Right. So Devin will get that on the thing. Or I, I remember one thing I love is I think it was, uh, even our very first video, I, I forget which one it was, but I, I use a center punch and I hit the center punch and it goes like flying across the shop because you know, it flew out of my hand. So I'm like, all right, so I go, I go find it. I'm like, Oh, there it is. And like, you yeah. know, we showed that that's, that's like real. And yeah, I feel absolutely. like there's a lot of that stuff on YouTube that I really do yeah. like. And of course, like different, different, uh, makers have different ways to show their stuff and they'll, you know, but mm -hmm. there's always that aspect. You feel like there's something really nice. I think that's something true about YouTube that you you get a lot of, there's plenty that, that isn't right. It's completely produced, but I think there's a lot of really good uh, makers. And the ones that I love are the people who I feel like they're the real person. I feel like right. I'm really in their shop with them hanging out. Like I, you yeah. know, if I, if I went to their shop, I'd feel the same way. Absolutely. And that's, I think why I do like doing the live streams too. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. The, the way I react, it's I can't edit it. You know, it's it's live. It's out there, and um, good, bad, or ugly. You know, it's sometimes right. you speak or you say something. You know, whatever. It's early in the morning. I haven't had my coffee. It's 19 degrees outside. Yeah, my brain's moving a little slow. 
<laughs> yeah, I remember. I think on I this saw. last one I did, um, this I, I made a comment. One of my old friends from my last duty station popped on, and I said, "Oh, Trish, Matt, how you guys doing? I thought you guys died of the Rona, right? <laughs> and, well, they both have coronavirus right now. They're doing fine. Oh, cheap, right? And it's military humor, right? We have dark humor, right? right. Some person comments on my Instagram after watching it. Oh, you you made a joke about people dying of coronavirus. I had this person or that person. No, nope. And then boop. I was like, hey, this this is me. You know, you can come nitpick my life. <laughs> I guess right. I'm an insensitive prick or something. I don't know. I'm not going to apologize for who I am. Right. I'm sorry. We're trying to like make we're trying to make people laugh and just yeah. yeah it's the dark exactly. humor thing, right? Uh, like you would say, as a vet, you're in a terrible situation. You have to make each other laugh. Uh, it's 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 like anything. Yeah. Once you once you've lived through bullets whizzing by your ear and mortar yeah. off, you know, thirty feet from your where you're sleeping and stuff like that, it's, it's, the world takes on a different shade at that point. Right. right? And so, that's again, that's the same thing. That's perspective, like you were talking about. Like obviously, you know them, and yeah. you were you were you were making a statement based off of your past knowledge. This exactly. other person had no idea what that was, and then wanted to judge you on what you said based off of yeah. that. Like. Don't come in and judge me off of what you don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the worst. Like comments on YouTube, obviously we know are like oh, the worst. Yeah, people, sure. It's like yeah. they'll say all sorts of stuff and just make assumptions, and I'm like, oh. yep. yeah, it gets, <laughs> sure. gets inspired up sure. sometimes. Most of the time, we just ignore it. Yeah, it's like whatever. Yeah, right, that's, that's all you can do. That's all. You can do. <laughs> um. All right. Well, I I I'm gonna, I'm gonna start out with recommendations. All right. I have two. And uh, one I'll share on here, but well, I'll share them both. The um, now I guess I can make this, and probably people have seen it, but uh, Craig Lockwood's YouTube channel, um, he's made a bunch of good videos. Uh, they don't get enough attention for whatever reason. And uh, I watched one. It's called "I Bought a Forest," but oh, the, the thumbnail has got wood, so a, a little cheeky from Craig there. Um, but <laughs> but really a great. Have you seen that one, Dust? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, it was great. great. So well like done. Talking he, like, about travels. Yeah, like, he's in France. Yeah. He got these woods. He talks. It's so well done. So check that out. Um, yeah. uh, maybe a lot of people uh, listening to this also listen to Knife Talk, so you'd you'd know. But right. he, uh, it's good stuff. He's doing great YouTube stuff. Um, and then I'm gonna try to share this this audio. Uh, one of the the funniest <laughs> YouTube titles I've. I've heard it's this man sneezes into trombone during concert. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to play this for you. And uh, the, I mean, it's, the title's good enough, but here we go. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> it sounded like an air cannon going on. <laughs> oh, uh, man. I don't know. I was cracking cool. up yesterday. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, watch that video if you want to hear it again. Man sneezes into trombone during concert. Wow. That's funny. I, was, I almost started laughing before it got to it. I was like, it's the end is killing me. Yeah. It's going to be in the middle. Sure Poor guy. And you can barely see him, but he, he seems embarrassed. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, John, you have a recommendation for the yeah, listeners. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, I've got I've got two. So I've got one in terms of Gettysburg, right? Because we talked about that. Um, Really good book that if you want a very good breakdown on the entire Gettysburg campaign, um, it's called Gettysburg. Surprise, surprise. Uh, (laughs) By Stephen W. Sears. Uh, They have it on audiobook. That's how I um, listen to it. Uh, Great. I mean, like I said, they talk about everything from political personalities to logistics to the battle, the tactics, and all this stuff. So if you're looking for a very, very good in-depth study of Gettysburg, that would be a great one. Um, nice. And in terms of makers and stuff like that, I, I've got to go with Jason Knight. Um, either check out his YouTube channel or get those uh, Forge series. There's three of them now. Um, he's always running deals on them. But even if you're not into knives, if you're just into like the crafting and stuff like that, you can learn so much about it. And he's, he's entertaining too. It's Jason Knight. He's, he's an entertaining guy. Um, it's just a, it's a great series and uh, it supports a great, you know, great small business owner who's, who's trying to help this renaissance of, of making stuff. So uh, definitely recommend going and checking that out. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I've, I've been <clears throat> definitely, you know, he's, he's been doing a bunch of live stuff, which has been super yeah. cool, you know, having, yeah. cause he's got a, a good, like kind of production crew, three or four guys around him. With yeah, he really does. Yeah. They do an awesome job. I mean, I feel like when I'm watching one of those live streams, I feel like I'm watching the like produced channel. Right. It's great. Yeah. yeah. He's leaps and bounds. He's grown leaps and bounds from what he used to have. So yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Cool. Um, all right, my uh, my recommendation this week is a uh, another knife maker. Um, come on, open up my phone. There we go. So his uh, his name is Dimitri. He's on um, Instagram. His Instagram name is at functional underscore crafts. Um, and I actually learned about him cause he put a post on one of my, on one of my Instagram posts and said, Hey, I realize we're neighbors. Um, so I messaged him back and, and, uh, and you know, it's, he's, he's from, lives in Baltimore, Maryland, but he, he lives in the town that I grew up in, in Glenarm, Maryland. So he said he's in Glenarm, which is crazy. I was like, that's insane. You know, we grew up on a farm in Glenarm and, you know, now I live in the Hunt Valley area in Baltimore. So we're really close by, um, but yeah, he's really cool, really, really good knife maker. Um, I was surprised. I mean, his, his designs are really solid, really nice leather work as well for sheaths and, uh, and yeah, it's good, good stuff. I would say check it out. You know, definitely he's got, he's got some good stuff. He's, um, making good knives and putting out really beautiful pictures of them as well. Uh, so that again is uh, functional underscore crafts on Instagram. All right. Well, thank you so much, John. It has been a pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. Um, we made it. We made it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> um, I was, I was going to say this earlier, but like, I remember, um, I joined into one of your live streams a couple months ago and, and, uh, you know, like I popped on and just seeing what you were doing and you kind of came over to the camera. You're like, Hey, I'm, you know, the art craftsmanship's here and inspired by your work. And I was like, that's crazy. You know, I'm inspired by your work too. You know? so <laughs> it's, it's, it's so cool knowing that we're all part of this community. And it that, is. It is. I, I love it. Um, you know, it's, it seems a little bit conceited, but I love when I find, you know, somebody who I like, who also likes me yeah. and I'm like, Oh, oh sure. cool. You yeah. like me too. That makes me feel good about myself. You know, that's yeah. what we're all here for, right? Yeah. We all yeah, want to sure. feel good about ourselves. So. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. You know, it's like, <laughs> you like me. I like you. That's, I didn't even know you knew about me and you know about me and I know about you. That's cool. Right. Stuff, yeah, so. for sure. Yep. Yeah. No, that's so fine. It was, that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on. It was fun to be able to chat with you and, uh, Absolutely. and Pleasure. You know, talk a little bit about the forge and fire experience and your, your knife making Gettysburg. That was super fascinating. I was, 
I'm excited to talk about that too. Yeah. It's been a pleasure guys. I really uh, appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Again, this is the Art of Craftsmanship podcast. We're on the Makery Network with all sorts of other awesome makers, so definitely go check them out. Uh, Knife Talk podcast, the Handmade podcast. We've got Work For It and Simple Little Life and the Young Makers. Um, I know I'm missing more. There's some really awesome podcasts out there. So XYZ. XYZ. Yeah, that's a new one. Um, there's a woodworking podcast. I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but check it out. Go to the makery.network. Um, check out the other makers. Everybody's doing really awesome stuff. It's fun to listen. And I'm, you know, I'm continually listening and laughing and enjoying what people are putting out there. So we're trying to do that. Um, John, where can people find you on social media? Yeah. So I'm on uh, Instagram and Facebook at Nagel House Forge, uh, Twitter, Nagel House Forge, uh, LinkedIn, at Jonathan Nagel, but uh, yeah, I don't do much Forge stuff on there. So um, yeah, pretty much Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, right on. And you guys can all find us, uh, The Art of Craftsmanship on YouTube and on Instagram at The Art of Craftsmanship. If you want to support the channel and or the, or the uh, podcast, you can also go over to Patreon and find us there. So thank you everybody for joining us. Devin, it's always a pleasure. John, yes, it was awesome. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, everybody, and we will talk to you all next time. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.